Hello and welcome to this episode of the Beartown Road Alliance Church Podcast. My name is Pastor Isaac and I'm excited because we're continuing this series on humility. Uh, This message is taken from October 10th and we are looking at another life that we're told about in scripture that demonstrates humility. Well, Jonathan was next in line to actually become the king of Israel and instead he handed his royal robes over to a shepherd. Why did he do this? Well, it's because he loved David as himself. So today, Pastor Dave is going to explain how true, genuine friendship inspires humility. And so we are praying that this would be an encouragement to you, that it would deeply challenge you, and that you would walk away from this message with an opportunity to go deeper in your pursuit of humility than you ever have before. Hey, I want to remind you as well that all of the resources that we provide as a church can be found at BeartownRoad.org. Uh, if you want to see the events that we have coming up, which through the fall is going to be pretty exciting, you can go to BeartownRoad.org events. Alternately, you can actually download our Beartown Road app and you can find all of the information right there. So without further ado, let's jump into this message taken from October 10th titled Friendship and Humility. So speaking of friendship, I was thinking about who in in my world or who in the church does friendship really well. And there's so many of you that do this well, but one person that came to mind, someone who's a humble hero to me is Marshall Lineman. And uh, you might be here, maybe you just moved to Corning like a week ago. You're like, yeah, I'm friends with Marsha Lineman. I mean, you're, you're just, you just feel loved when you're in her presence. She does friendship so well. I love the way her friend Dar Mason described it. She said, she is one of the most generous encouragers I have ever met. She has a simple, childlike, unshakable faith in God that is contagious, and I am blessed to call her friend. So yay God for Marcia, uh, my humble hero for today. Well, as we dive into this whole area of friendship, I really want to deal with two questions. The first one is, why do I need a friend? Now, you might be thinking, well, that's kind of a dumb question. Everybody needs friends. But in reality, there are many people, and maybe you're here, where most of your relationships would consist of acquaintances, right? Uh, people that you run into at work or you run into them uh, at the gym or maybe even at church, you enjoy being around them. Um, you have uh, fun moments when you're with them, but you would say they're more of an acquaintance than a friend. I think about maybe 90 to 95% of our relationships consist of acquaintances. And so that's good. It's good to have acquaintances. But I think that all of us need at least one or two or a small handful of friends. And we're going to talk about what does a friend do? What does it look like to have a friend? And if I've convinced you that you do need a friend, we're going to answer this question as well. How do I become a better friend? Uh, Because there's a lot um, that friendship has to do with humility as we continue with this series on humility. The guy that we're going to look at today, he is, he's truly one of my favorite characters in the entire Old Testament, and partly because he's just kind of a normal guy, right? He doesn't do any miracles. There's no, like, parting of the Red Sea, healing the blind. He doesn't slay a giant. He's just kind of a normal guy as far as we know, um, but he was a humble Friend, And that's really what made him so extraordinary. And, and it's true that he actually did change the course of world history because of his humility. And his story can be found in the book of 1 Samuel. This is about 
a thousand years before Christ. So 3,000 years ago, we learn of this incredible man's story. His name is Jonathan. And the nation of Israel is going through a season where they long for a king. They have been ruled by judges for years and years. And they want to be like all of the other nations who can lead them into battle, someone who's got big muscles and who is tall and impressive. And so they go to Samuel, who's the leader at the time. He's the, the prophet, the spokesman for God. And they say, we want a king. And Samuel goes to God and says they're asking for a king. And God says, well, well, I want to be their king, right? They don't need a king. I want to be their king. And then finally God says, okay, we'll give them a king. We'll give them what they want. And so Samuel goes and he finds a man who the text tells us is a head taller than the rest. He is an impressive man. He's 30 years old at the time, so he's young, but he's got lots of potential. And Samuel takes a, a big flask of oil and pours it over his head, anoints him as the king of Israel, and he gathers all the Israelites together, and he says, here is your king, the man that you have asked for, and everybody is just excited, and they all shout out, long live the king, right? And there's just a sense of excitement in the air that they finally become like all of the other nations with King Saul leading them in battle. Well, you read the, the story of Saul, and he rules for about 40 years his story is condensed in just a few chapters in 1 Samuel, um, but we discover very early on that he is a man who doesn't have the greatest of integrity. He cuts corners. He doesn't do things the way God asked him to do it. Um, he, he's not a man of integrity, and there's a few examples that you can read about, and eventually God says, I'm, I'm grieved that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. And so God decides to anoint somebody else. And he says, all right, Samuel, I want you to go find a man who loves me, a man who uh, has a heart for me, somebody who's humble. So Samuel goes and God directs him to go into this little town called Bethlehem. And he shows up in the town of Bethlehem and he speaks to this man named Jesse. And he says, all right, I, I, I think that the, the king's uh, the future king must be right here. His oldest son's name is Eliab because he's taller and he's got bigger muscles than everybody else. And God says, uh, no, no, no. The, the Lord does not look at the things man looks at. That, that, that's what you did last time by choosing a man who was taller and bigger and faster and stronger. But man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so he goes from Eliab all the way down, these seven boys, these seven sons of Jesse. God doesn't lead Samuel to choose any of them. So he says, okay, Jesse, you got anyone else? And he says, well, yeah, I got my youngest son. His name's David. He's out tending the sheep, but you probably don't want him because you know, he's just a little guy and he's young. And Samuel's like, well, let me see him. And he brings David before him. And God says, he's the one. He's the one. So he, he anoints David as king, even though he won't be officially installed as king many, many years later. And here's what we discover about David very early on. These are all of the descriptions that the Bible gives us about David, right? He's handsome, right? These are not my words. These are the scripture's words. He's handsome. He's a brave warrior. He speaks well, right? So he gives nice speeches. He is so strong that he killed a bear with his bare hands, right? Some of you hunters thought you were impressive because you could kill a bear with your gun. He killed a bear with his bare hands, he, he was a great leader. We discover that he's got these 37 mighty men of his. One of them jumped into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. 
Another guy killed 800 men in one day. Another guy fought so hard that at the end of his battle, the, the, the sword froze to his hand. These guys were willing to follow David through thick and thin. They were his guys because he was a great leader. Uh, he, he was a poet as well as a songwriter. He wrote about 73 psalms. There's more about David than anybody else in the scriptures other than Jesus. And the great thing is we have all of this biographical information, all of his exploits, and through the Psalms, we actually discover what's going on in his head. It's, it's extraordinary how much information we have about David. He's a musician. Matter of fact, he's such a great musician that one day Saul is tormented by this evil spirit and he's struggling with depression. And one of his attendants says, Saul, you need to find a guy who can come and play the harp for you. I know a guy who can play the harp really, really well. And it was, it was King David, right? If, if you are the king of Israel and you're trying to find a harp for this guy, a harpist for this guy, you're going to be the best harpist in the land. So he's, that, he's that great of a musician. He writes his own songs. He's such a good marksman, right, that right after he's anointed king, he goes before Goliath. He's nine feet tall, dressed in all this armor, picks up a slingshot, and he's so good at his slingshot that he takes out Goliath. Cuts off his head and he becomes instantly a national hero. But here's what's most impressive about David. Not only is he incredibly skilled, but he's also humble. Now, this is amazing. I remember when I was in seminary, there was this fella named Johnny. Everybody knew who Johnny was because he was a surfer. He was a skateboarder. He was, he was going to be a New Testament scholar. He was like brilliant with Greek and just this brilliant guy. He was an athlete. Uh, he was handsome. He was just good at everything. And I remember a bunch of us guys sitting around in a circle. And uh, my, my buddy Chris said out loud what the rest of us were thinking. He was like, man, Johnny's good at everything. But you can't hate him because he's so humble, right? It's like that dude's good at everything. But you just, he's just, he's got it all. He's humble. And I was thinking about like, um, you know, the, the people that you know. Do you know anybody who's like this? I mean, I, I know one guy who's like this, who's like ch checks all of the boxes. He's like good at everything. And my friend one time was golfing with him. And I said to my friend, so was this, this guy that's good at everything? I was like, was he good at golf? And he goes, nah, he wasn't any good at golf. He's just like you speaking to me because I'm not very good at golf. And then he goes, and it felt so good to see him fail at golf because I finally found something that he wasn't good at right? Here's the thing. None of us, at least for, except for maybe this one guy, none of us can relate to David, right? That old saying that God does extraordinary things through ordinary people, that does not apply to David because he was an extraordinary man with incredible talent. Remember that old song, uh, that old Gatorade commercial where it was like, be like Mike, I want to be like Mike. It's like you could drink all the Gatorade you want and play basketball 12 hours a day, you're not going to be like Mike, you could try as hard as you want. You're not going to be like David. He had extraordinary skills, extraordinary talents, right? And he was humble. And it, and it makes the rest of this story just even more amazing considering how talent this guy was. And again, he was humble. This is what David said one day. This is extraordinary. David said, do you think it is a small matter to become the king's son-in-law? I'm only a poor man and I'm little known. And part of me is like, okay, David, you're really humble, but you're also a little bit 
not so self-aware. Because this comes right after he defeated Goliath. And all the women come out in the streets and they're like, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands. He is a national hero in Israel, right? He is trending. He is wildly popular. Everybody's walking around with like, David is my homeboy t-shirts. And he says, I am little known. It's like, David, you are not little known. But he was humble. He was a man after God's own heart. And Saul, the current king of Israel, became incredibly, incredibly jealous of David because of his popularity. Right after David kills Goliath, the text says this. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan, now, I want you to think about this for a second, okay? Jonathan, in, in my opinion, is kind of an ordinary man, right? Just like you and me, ordinary. David is an extraordinarily talented man. And you might think, if you didn't know the rest of the story, that Jonathan's probably going to do everything he can to make sure that David doesn't become the next king. Because Jonathan is in line to become the future king of Israel. He's the king's son. And you might think Jonathan's like, I'm not letting him usurp the throne. I remember uh, when I was a senior in high school. This was like 25 years ago. And I was playing high school football. We were in the locker room. And, and I, was, I was about to lead the team onto the field. And my buddy Joey, who's one of my best friends at the time, he jumped in front of me. And then I jumped in front of him. And then we got in like this little jockey in for position, got in this little argument. And I'll never forget my friend Ryan Cruz, who was behind us at the time. He just goes, you guys are ridiculous. Just sitting here arguing who's going to be the one to lead us out on, onto the field. And you might think Jonathan's like, oh, he's not going to one-up me. I'm the king's son. I am the rightful heir to the throne. But here's what we discover about Jonathan. This is extraordinary. That he goes to David and he made a covenant with him because he loved him as himself. David had such a strong friendship with Jonathan that he said, it's not about me and it's not about my throne. It's about you my friend. And what Jonathan does next is extraordinary. The text tells us that he took off the robe he was wearing and he gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. He gets down on his knees and says, I'm handing my authority over to you. I'm making a pledge, my life, to you. Whatever God has given me, remember the definition of humility? Whatever resources or influence God has given me, I am leveraging it for you. That's an incredible act of humility. You go on in the story and Samuel tells us, the author of 1 Samuel says, whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in the army and this pleased all the people, including Jonathan. Jonathan wasn't threatened because he was so committed to this friendship with David. Okay, so you, you read the text, and it's just an extraordinary story. You know, Saul one day is so impacted by this evil spirit that he can't even really control myself, himself. He's consumed by jealousy because he's worried David's going to take over the kingdom. And he picks up a spear, and he throws it at David. And this just shows you how athletic David is, right? Like he avoids the spear 
Then he picks up the spear again, throws it at him, and he, you know, he's able to dodge. The, this is a guy you would want on your team for dodgeball. He's just able to dodge the spear all the time, right? He's trying to kill David. David gets out of the way, and David's like, oh, my goodness, this guy's going to kill me. I better get out of here. So he runs away, terrified. Right? Saul leads this army, could kill him you know, easily if David didn't have the protection of Jonathan. Text tells us that while David was at Horish in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. He is terrified. And what does Jonathan do? Saul's sons, Jonathan, went to David at Horish, and he helped him find strength in God. So I started out this sermon saying, why do you need a friend? Acquaintances are nice, but friends are better. And I think one of the reasons that you need a friend, and I need a friend, we need friends, is because they give us strength in God. The question I have for you is, do you have somebody in your life who gives you strength? Especially in those, those hours of need where you're anxious, You feel like whatever your enemy is, is bearing down on you. You need somebody to give you strength. I mean, David knew about the goodness of God. David knew about the protection of God. But he needed a friend to give him strength during the hour of his greatest need. And Jonathan says to him in that moment where he needed strength, Jonathan says, don't be afraid. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel. And I will be second to you. That's amazing. That's incredible. And I would argue that this right here is one of the most important moments in the history of Israel. And one of the most important moments in our faith because of what happens to David and David's son, 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 son. We'll talk about that in a minute, but this is an extraordinary moment where David, where Jonathan says, whatever I have, I'm giving it over to you. And even though I'm the rightful heir to the throne, I'll be second to you. You read the rest of the story and it's actually kind of sad. Jonathan ends up being loyal to his father, Saul, and also loyal to his friend, David. You imagine how tense filled that would be. Like, I I love my dad, but he's crazy. I, I love David. And they're kind of going at, and he found himself in the middle. He eventually fights alongside his father, Saul, and he dies in battle. And then Saul falls on his own sword. And later on, David becomes, what most people would agree, the greatest king in the history of Israel, and he never would have gotten there if he didn't have the extraordinary friendship of Jonathan. Isn't it true that real friendship requires humility? If you want to be a real friend to somebody, it requires humility. And real friendship also, I would argue, produces humility. Um, I want to talk about three things. This is the second question I posed at the beginning of this sermon How do you become a great friend? Um, And I want to argue that there are three things that you could implement into your life to become a great friend to somebody else. And we see this in Jonathan's life. Um, And I I labeled it AAA, so AAA, right? Because AAA is there for you when your car breaks down, right? Do you have a friend there for you when your life breaks down? So the first one is um, to admit your weaknesses, right? I love the old saying, that we impress each other with our strengths, but we connect with one another through our weaknesses. 
In other words, if I stood up in front of you today and I said, hey, I want, you to, I want to tell you guys uh, about that bear that I killed with my bare hands yesterday. And then after that, I ran 26 miles in like an hour and a half. And then I biked, you know, 100 miles. And then I swam two miles. I feel pretty good today. You'd probably be impressed by that, right? But if I stood before you today and said, you know what, I'm trying to get in shape. Yesterday, I tried to run around the block, but then off the corner of my eyes, I saw peaches and cream. And instead of running a quarter of a mile, I sat down and I ate a large milkshake. You'd be like, I can connect with him, right? So we impress each other with our, with our strengths, but we connect through our weaknesses. And I, I would argue that one of the, the things that maybe you need to implement into your, your own life is confessing your, your weaknesses to your friends because that's ultimately how we connect. The second one is that we would allow other people to carry our burdens. David allowed Jonathan to be there for him when he needed it most. The other extraordinary part of the story of David and Jonathan is after David dies and, or after Jonathan dies and David becomes the king, one day David says, hey, is there anybody left in the line of Jonathan? And they say, yeah, there's this, this guy named Mephibosheth who when he was just a little baby, the nurse dropped him and he became crippled. And in those days, if he became crippled, there was a good chance that you would be relegated to a life of, of being a beggar. David says, bring him to me. And every night, Mephibosheth would eat at the table of David. He would receive royal treatment because David said, I'm going to honor the house of Jonathan. They carried each other's burdens. I was talking with someone recently who said, you know what? We love to serve other people, but it is really hard for us to receive from other people. And there, there are some of you, maybe you're here today, where you're really good at serving others, but you need to be good at receiving from others. You need to humble yourself and receive from those who want to carry your burden. Galatians 6.2, carry one another's burdens, and then you will fulfill the law of Christ. So part of humility is allowing one another to carry our burdens. And then the last one is that you would attend to other people's needs, right? That you would go to bat for your friend, that you would serve them, especially when they are in need of it most. So that's the, the triple A that I came up with today. It's that you would admit your weaknesses, that you would allow somebody else to carry your burden, and that you would attend to your friend's needs. The Apostle Paul talked about friendship all the time. Let me just give you a, quick, a few quick verses of what the Apostle Paul said we're supposed to do for one another. He said, be devoted to one another. He said, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. I think sometimes we, we accept one another. It, it's hard for us to accept one another. It's like, ah, but they do this and I can't. If it's sinful, we should call it out. But if it's not, we need to learn to kind of accept each other's quirks, maybe a little bit better. Um, instruct one another. Right? Be willing for somebody to point out a truth in our life. Serve one another in love. Bear with one another in love. Show patience with one another. Forgive one another just as in Christ, just as, as Christ forgave you. I think oftentimes when you're in a real friendship, there's going to be moments where you're going to have to practice forgiveness. Paul says, bear with one another. Forgive one another. 
and maybe the most important one of all, greet each other with a holy kiss. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. That would be weird. Some of you first-timers are like, which church did I come to today? Where's the nearest exit? I love this quote from, from Andy Stanley. He says this, our friendships have more power over us than our convictions. Isn't that true? I mean, think about when you were in middle school or high school or college. Some of the dumbest things that we did, we did it with other people. Sometimes we would say, that completely goes against my convictions. That goes against everything I believe. But I had somebody with me who led me into trouble. Those of you who are parents, you, you know that you are deeply concerned about your kids' friends. Right? This is why I always say, get your kids in children's church. Get your kids at youth group on Wednesday night because your child's friendships will determine the direction and the quality of their lives. Friendships, as a dad, this is so true, friendships are way more powerful than convictions. They may believe one thing, but if they got a friend who doesn't believe it, convictions are good, but friendships are oftentimes way, way more powerful. So really, my hope and my prayer is that we would be a church of people who value friendship, that we would love each other, that we would be devoted to each other when things get tough, that we would forgive one another, and that we would leverage whatever we have for the sake of our friend. So David, a thousand years later, has a son who has a son who has a son who has a son who has another son who's born in the city of David, the city of Bethlehem, named Jesus. And Jesus, when he was on his way to Gethsemane with his disciples, gave this profound teaching. This is one of the last things he taught his guys before he was arrested. He said, this is my commandment. Not commandments, commandment. He's like, I, I just want you to remember this one thing. If you forget everything else I taught you, just remember this one thing, guys. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Just love each other. That's how you're going to demonstrate to the world that you are a follower of me, Jesus says, by the way that you love each other. Jesus says, look, I haven't called you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends because I've revealed these things to you. And then Jesus would say, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. So Jesus gives this teaching, and then he heads up to Gethsemane. During the hour of his greatest need, his guys fell asleep on him. They asked to go wake him up. Guys, I need you. I need you. Goes back out and prays. They fall asleep again. Comes back out. You know, happens a couple times. And then finally, he's arrested, betrayed by his friend Judas, later on denied by his friend Peter. And as he's hanging on the cross... Jesus looks out, and the only disciple who remained there with him was John the Apostle. But you know what? Jesus didn't leave. He stayed. And he died. And he calls you friend. And the way that we get into relationship with Jesus, it's the same way that we get into relationship with one another, right? We admit our failures, we admit our sins, we admit the ways that we've fallen short, we allow him to carry our burden of sin, 
Jesus says, come to me. All you who are weary, all you who are burdened, and I will give you rest. And then he says, I want you to go out and I want you to attend to one another's needs. I want you to love one another. That's how you become friends with Jesus, and that's how you become friends with our fellow man. Isn't it a beautiful thing to be completely loved, or completely known and consistently loved? That's a wonderful thing. So years ago, a few years ago, I had had a young couple live in our basement. Um, Cody and Caitlin lived in our basement for four years, and our walls are thin, and you hear me on Sunday morning, they heard me on Sunday morning, and they heard me on Saturday morning too. And those moments where I would like lose my cool with my kids, those moments that I'm shamed, shamed about, well, they heard it all, right? Nobody knew me better than them. And yet I was consistently and still am consistently loved by them. And that's a powerful thing. When people know you and they've seen all your dirt and your shame, and yet they love you anyway, there's nothing better than that. So I ask you, do you have a friend who completely knows you and consistently loves you? No man is a failure who has friends, to quote the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. And here's the thing about Jesus, this is so great, that he completely knows you as well. Everything about you, better than your spouse, better than the people who live in your basement, better than your coworkers. He knows you completely. This is amazing. He knows everything about you. He knows all of your shame, all of the ways that you've sinned against him and hurt other people. He knows you completely, and he time after time after time loves you and calls you friend. He is holy, 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 powerful and mighty, majestic and perfect, and loves you anyway. And not the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we celebrate every day. And my prayer, my hope for you is that you would love Jesus so much, even in the midst of all of your shame and all of your guilt and all the things that you've done in the past, and you would come before him and that you would receive his love, and you would become friends with him. And then you would go out, and just like Jonathan, that you would leverage whatever God has given you on behalf of somebody else. Because real friendship requires humility, and real friendship produces humility. So let's be humble. Let's be friends with whomever it is that God has placed before you. God is good, and he is holy, and he knows you, and yet he still loves you. Let's pray together. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as we close out this service. We sing to our king. Before we do that, I want to ask you to take about 30 seconds to just be silent before the Lord. Maybe God wants to put somebody on your heart that you need to invest a little bit more in. Maybe there's somebody that God's calling you to open up to or to love on. Just take about 30 seconds to just listen to the still small voice of the Lord. Go ahead and do that right now.
God, we just come before you in this holy moment. And I just want to lift up the person here who might be struggling with loneliness. I pray that first and foremost, they would come close to you. We believe that your words are true, that that you want to take upon our burden, that you want to be close to us, that you want to be friends with us. It's an amazing truth that you are holy, 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 powerful and mighty. And you're also our friend. We thank you for that truth, Lord. God, would you give us the strength that when we leave this place, we will be humble enough to be a great friend to somebody else. And above all, we thank you that you have called us friend. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, I'm hoping that this message has inspired you, that it's challenged you, that it's pushed you to evaluate your friendships and your pursuit of humility. And so until we are together again, I simply want to say thank you for joining in on this episode of the Beartown Road Alliance Church Podcast.